0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. This is the place among the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freight Waves, where we talk about oil and diesel because that's what makes the trucks and the trains run, hopefully on time. And you have to drill for oil to get it, so we call it Drilling Deep. I thought we'd talk about some numbers here today. We're going to be discussing Amazon a little later, but for now, let's focus on diesel, because right now, obviously, it's extremely important. The numbers I'm going to talk about, they're not too many of them, they're not too complex. Numbers don't do well in podcasts if there are a whole slew of them. So, the first number I'm going to give you is 30.3. That's this past week's day's cover report for distillates in the U.S. Distillates include diesel, and in fact, diesel is the biggest part of distillates. Distillates also include jet fuel, but the Energy Information Administration breaks those out separately when they're doing their inventory report. The 30.3 number for day's cover represents total inventories in the U.S divided by daily consumption averages. It's a number that can fluctuate a lot over the year, and that makes sense. Consumptions pattern differ over the course of any 12-month period, so inventories should too. The problem right now is that because distillates include heating oil, you would expect that inventories would be building prior to winter. The number of days consumption should rise because inventories would be increasing at this time of year, but doing so before the higher consumption actually kicks in. But that is not happening. That 30.3 number is the second lowest over the last six years for the third EIA report. In October, the third week report, that's what you want to look at. You want to go year to year. Throwing out last year's number because 2020 was such an outlier, that number has been as high for the third week of October as 37 plus days. Now we're dealing with 30.3. That may not sound like a lot, but it is. We are dealing with tight inventories. Another number in the latest report by the Energy Information Administration that was troubling from the perspective of diesel consumers was refinery output of ultra-low sulfur diesel. It had been running pretty healthy recently, but at 4.25 million barrels per day, production of ULSD in the U.S. uh, last week was the lowest in five weeks, even as refinery margins were strong enough to encourage production of diesel. It's just one week. It may see a sharp reversal next week, but it's definitely one to watch. There's another number we've talked about a lot in recent weeks. It's the spread between the current price of ULSD on the CME Commodity Exchange and the price of ULSD 12 months out. When the current price is higher than the further out price, it is called backwardation. And that number is heavily influenced by the level of inventories. If inventories are tight, that spread will get wider. On Wednesday, it reached a new level for this current market, hitting a 19 cents differential. That really isn't surprising when you think about that day's cover number that I mentioned before. If the day's cover continued to shrink or continue to get smaller, it makes perfect sense for that backwardation to continue to widen. Then, of course, we have the price itself. Don't want to get too far away from discussing that. From a settlement on the first of the month to $2.38.27, ULSD on CME rose to just under $2.60 by this past Wednesday, October 20th. It pulled back on Thursday by about $0.04, cents, but no market rises forever. That upward march is the reason why the weekly DOA EIA retail price of diesel, the one that's used for fuel surcharges, it just added more than $0.19 cents per gallon over a two-week period, and it's now at $3.67.110. That is the highest level it's been since November 2008. The price of diesel will ultimately be tied to the price of crude, but only up to a point. The fact is that diesel continues to run extremely strong against the world Brent crude oil benchmark. It came in this week at about 54 cents per gallon. So that's diesel is 54 cents per gallon more valuable than Brent. At the beginning of the month, it was about 49 and a half cents. So that doesn't sound like much, but, you know, you can argue that between four and five cents of the current price is simply diesel strengthening beyond the price of crude. And for somebody who's consuming diesel, that matters. There aren't too many bears out there who see the price of oil falling anytime soon. But given the numbers out there, if oil did start to come down, it's probably not going to be diesel propelling it lower.
1: We are going to move on now to our guest of the week. He is Yoni Mazur. He's the CGO and co-founder of Gatita. And let's talk a little bit about what Gatita does. It's, It's sort of amazing. It kind of shows the power of Amazon that a company like Gatita exists because they work with companies that also work with Amazon's FBA, Fulfillment by Amazon business. So it's, they're like an outside advisor to companies that are using that uh, that FBA service. So, Yoni, first of all, two things. First of all, welcome to Drilling Deep.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: And secondly, why don't you discuss FBA? First of all, what is FBA? And then you talk a little bit about what Katita does.
2: You got it. So uh, I'll try to give the one-on-one crash course into the world of Amazon, and specifically selling on Amazon so typically third-party amazon sellers uh when they want to sell their products on amazon they have two options in terms of logistics the The first one is i guess the more um, obvious one is to have their own warehouse and as the orders come in from the marketplace they package the units and you know from the bins or wherever they are located in the warehouse they put it in a box and they ship it out they can use fedex post office whatever that is uh, the most intuitive thing that most people will think of but Amazon has created a, an amazing uh, program called FBA, Fulfillment by Amazon, So, uh, which is the second alternative. So uh, the sellers, what they can do is they can ship to Amazon uh, all their inventory in bulk, right? Um, and Amazon will store the units in their fulfillment centers. And as the orders come in from the marketplace, they're going to pick the unit from the bin. They're going to package it in a box and ship it out to the end consumer. Um, so that's the Fulfillment by Amazon FBA program, which uh, Getira, um helps sellers uh, in, in a variety of ways uh, uh, through our the, the use of technology. Essentially, we built that technology. And what it does, it uh, it looks in, uh, into all the transactions uh, in the fulfillment center. So uh, let's say, uh, John, you shipped 1,000 a t- a units to Amazon's fulfillment center, and Amazon, instead of receiving 1,000 units, they only received 190 units. So 10 units are missing. So our technology catches that discrepancy. But we also have a dedicated team of specialists which will open a case with Amazon, uh, bring to their attention the discrepancy. And then if Amazon uh, finds the 10 missing units, that's great, problem resolved. But uh, if they don't, they have um, what they call an FBA reimbursement policy uh, um, in, in which they'll activate it and they say, hey, we were not able to find your missing units. We lost it. We apologize. Here's your uh, here's the reimbursement. Um, and they have it, uh, in, 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 this whole policy... Um, constructed uh you know it's it, essentially it's an insurance policy for the sellers because you know we all shop on amazon we take it for granted how much inventory there is in amazon's fulfillment center and when it comes to third-party amazon sellers it's hundreds of billions of dollars worth of inventory that they are that they ship to amazon and trust amazon's infrastructure and network uh the reason that we all take it for granted is because Amazon backs it up with warranty and, and insurance. Just so in, in case anything uh, wrong happens, they'll step up, uh, they'll provide a reimbursement uh, and a financial recovery in, in when uh, there's a loss. I gave you a simple example just to illustrate a bit more. Uh, once your units, your inventory is inside Amazon's fulfillment center, inside the center, the units could get lost or damaged or destroyed or disappeared or get overcharged with fees. So that's inside the center, but also between the centers, because Amazon might ship the products from, let's say, Kentucky to California, California to Nevada, to have a spread out of the products. Because you know we all know that Amazon has like a day or two shipping. You know, Prime Day you can get it within a day or two because they spread it all out. So in between the spread out, the the same uh, issues happen. Also between Amazon's fulfillment center to the consumers when the orders come in, and all these uh, discrepancies happen. Consumers back to Amazon with all the refunds and returns. And the last point of connection is the the removal orders. If you ever remove your inventory from Amazon fulfillment center, And back to you. All these issues also happen. So within all these logistical transaction uh, transactions, that's when all the issues happen. Our technology always kind of tracks and monitors. And when there's a, a, a discovery where we find that there's a, an issue that needs to be attended, we bring it to Amazon's attention and we provide the solution.
1: All right. Let's talk about the companies that don't use FBA because it, you know, on a service it would seem that you're 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 so tied. If you're, if you're a third party seller, you're so tied in with Amazon, real joined at the hip. That having them fulfill makes a lot of sense. Let's say you don't. I mean, they don't have 100% of the market here. So, what then becomes so the relationship then between you as the third party seller and Amazon is simply that your products are moved on their platform. So, but this, I mean, is Amazon involved at all in the fulfillment or just they take the order and they send it out to the fulfilling agent, whether it's the manufacturer themselves or let's say a third party company that they pulled in, and and then that's the end of Amazon's involvement there?
2: Uh, I just want to make a, a, a distinction here in the Amazon world. So there's 1P and there's 3P. 3P is third-party sellers. 1P is the first-party sellers. So a, a first-party seller can be like, let's say, like Nike, a big brand. And what's going to get a PO, a purchase order from Amazon, they're going to ship their products to Amazon. Amazon will then retail it. Amazon will be the seller, right? In, in the, so when you shop on Amazon.com, it says sold by Amazon.com. So And Amazon takes full ownership of their product and they take care of everything. The third-party sellers, uh, when they ship it to Amazon, there's no purchase order. They do it with, the, with you know with their own uh, initiative. They send it in. Amazon stores it, and Amazon is basically providing logistical services. That's its component. That's its mission. And uh, yeah, that's. So I hope that kind of answers the question by just clarifying the two tracks of how Amazon uh, treats inventory: the one that it owns and the one that the third-party sellers own. But nevertheless. It's, it's treated the same way, honestly. It's really the, 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 the question is the end uh, ownership, who really owns the inventory and who uh, actually generates the revenue. When Amazon buys it from Nike, it's their revenue. So whatever margins they make on it, they keep. When a third-party seller sells it, the margin is kept with the seller, but it, they pay the fees to Amazon because when Amazon picks the unit from the, bo- the bin and they package it in a box to ship it out, they charge a fulfillment fee. We call it pick and pack fee. And that's how they make their money, but also they charge storage fees. So it's basically uh, logistical services solutions uh, arm that amazon has that uh, functions uh, as a really great booster for the marketplace because 60 percent of the sellers on amazon today i think i believe uh do they utilize uh, amazon's fba program the fulfillment amazon program because it really resonates with consumers consumers want to get their products within a day or two and you get that amazon prime badge when you send it to amazon so it's a really great benefit for third-party sellers to rely on amazon's huge infrastructure which is worth billions of billions of dollars instead of trying to create their own fulfillment center, which can be very expensive. You need to have labor, employees, machinery. So that's kind of the, the, uh, the opportunity options for our third-party sellers uh, within Amazon.
1: Yeah. So I would think that the companies that stay out of it, that don't use uh, FBA are probably pretty large themselves because they, they have the fulfillment system that they can use and they don't have to build it from scratch. It probably already exists.
2: Yeah, the thing, yeah, it, what's amazing is that it's, it's the whole spectrum uses FBA, or Amazon's fulfillment uh, program. Yeah, uh, from the newbie seller, because obviously for them to to utilize Amazon makes a lot more sense because they don't want to rent a warehouse. By the way, it's really hard to rent or even buy warehouses today. There's such a high demand because of the, the growth of e-commerce. Uh, so that's a pain point. So they, they opt into Amazon's fulfillment center. But you'll be surprised, even the, the large volume sellers who are really established, um, And they have their own fulfillment centers and they have their own team and technology events that, that they built. They still utilize Amazon's uh, services because uh, the end consumer just trusts it more. They see that Amazon Prime badge, they want it so much and and, and you generate more sales. And I also, uh, a few days ago, Amazon also published an article, sorry, not a, a report, about uh, third-party uh, FBA sellers phone by Amazon sellers. And in the report, they actually, uh, it seems like they did some mathematics and calculations. And they discovered that, uh, on average, uh, FBA sellers paid 30% less uh, in terms of cost of logistics. So if you do it yourself, even if you're a big established company, let's say even your Nike or Procter Gamble, Right and and you or you send to FBA. Amazon has so much logistical power and prowess that uh, at the end of the day, you pay like 30% less on average. You
1: know, I can't help but wonder. You figure that somewhere down the line, there's going to be an antitrust action against Amazon. And it's not like breaking apart AT&T in the 70s. It's not like breaking apart Standard Oil back in the 20s and not the you know not the 2020s and the 1920s uh, whatever year. there's significant network effects from being that big and there are a lot of benefits to it as he just laid out. But I can't help but think as I'm talking to you that if an antitrust action were mounted against Amazon, that maybe this would be a target. The idea being that you want to keep these things separate that Amazon has to, let's say, divest itself of its fulfillment arm, and that operates on its own. I mean, we're not going to argue whether this is good policy or bad, but I can't help but think that this could be a target in an antitrust effort. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking that?
2: No, I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, arguments to be made uh, to support that, where, you know, where does the point start where it's a monopoly? It really monopolizes the the, the, the landscape of the industry. So where do you draw the line? Is there a line? Uh, cuz you know it's argued here and there i, I know on amazon's uh, defense uh they're just saying you know maybe we dominate 40 50% of e-commerce but in inter- e-commerce with a whole portion of retail is maybe what 14 15% so there's still uh, uh 80 plus percent more to go to e-commerce as an industry forget about it, just amazon right to to grow so what are we talking here uh that's kind of the argument that they made and it's a it's a world war so um if the government uh, has the resources and uh, patience to really dive into it and look into it, it, sh- it should be done. The end result, it's, you know, it's going to be uh, the battle of the century.
1: So how does Amazon view a company like you? I think, I, would, I, th- I think when I first dove into this, I thought maybe negatively, but I would think you make working with FBA easier, so they probably love you.
2: Um, yeah, just to put it in perspective, we're not even a bug on the windshield. They have so many things to worry about. We're just a one one function to, uh, that, that, that kind of, uh, balances things in the marketplace. Just to put it into even more perspective, uh, statistically speaking, we find that, uh, the discrepancy rate on an annual basis ranges between one to 3% from the, the revenue of the seller. So if you do a million dollars revenue on FBA, one to 3% could be 10 to $30,000 worth of discrepancies a year. Another way to look at it is uh, that uh, for every 100 units shipped to Amazon, between one to three units will get affected. So it's really, it's in the fringes of things. It's really in the sidelines of things and we come in and we help with that and we adjust it. We make it, the whole transaction very, very simple for the seller and Amazon so all the data is very, very clear and understood because if I'm a third-party seller, I don't know how to reconcile my data, my reports. I reach out to Amazon. I show them one thing. They respond to another thing. I show that it takes a back, all the back and forth can be very, very strenuous. So we help to prevent that. We come in with the data. We speak the lingo and we make it very, very smooth and, and simple for them. Now. Um, we're also an, an authorized solution provider by Amazon. So uh, Amazon third party sellers. Uh, on Amazon Sell Essential, there's an app store. If you visit the app store, you'll find Getita there, which means we have a double commitment. We have a commitment to the sellers, the third-party sellers, but also to Amazon to make sure that we're terms-of-service compliant, you know, this uh, data security, private policy. We audit billions of dollars worth of transactions every day across our network, so it's very uh, important to everybody that we, re, you know, handle uh, all the data responsibly, and we, we try to come in and, and kind of balance things in a very professional way, a very accurate way, so the whole thing is just smooth. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's only one to 3% of the action where we, where we come in and help out, um, and just make things more fair on the marketplace.
1: Are you unique or are there other companies like you out there? And it's, I and mean, if, if we how many there are out there in this, the growing field,
2: uh, it is. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's competition, definitely competition. We have, you know, our industry peers, which they also do a very good job. Uh, they're growing, we're growing. So we're all happy with, uh, that aspect because the whole industry is kind of, you know, as they say, when the tides come up, all the boats, uh, rise. So that's kind of the situation on the ground. Uh, as it pertains to Getira today, we're the largest organization in the world dedicated just for this niche. Uh, the niche is called Amazon FBA auditing and reimbursements. We have a, a team of over, uh, 80 plus members, uh, in six countries. Uh, we operate on a global level. So whether you sell on Amazon US or Canada or Mexico or UK or Germany, we provide the solution over there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, competitive. Uh, there's more and more coming up. Uh, we just try to f- stay focused on what we do best and, uh, you know, uh, lead through, um, through uh, performance.
1: And I don't know if you can tell me this, but how many – clients do you have that are so that you're big enough to to have 80 people company? I I have no, no, no idea what the relationship is between having 80 people and how many
2: thousands. It's in the thousands. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, cause we, we, we're actually, I just want to make a distinguish. We're not a software. We're not a tool. We're a solution. As a solution, we use software and technology and a dedicated team, uh, to, to create the solution. The solution is to make sure that Amazon sellers can uh, audit properly and reconcile properly all their FBA transactions. And if of course, they're eligible to get a reimbursement or financial recovery to secure that. And uh, our model is pretty interesting because it's very comfortable. We only charge a fee based on success. We charge a 25% fee. So if we're able to get you $100 back that you never had access to before, uh, so we charge 25%, which would be $25. But next month, we got you $0, you pay $0. So it's called, uh, we call this model PPR, Pepper Recovery Only. So it's free to join and it's free to stay. We only get paid if we're, you know, provide value.
1: That's like what a personal injury lawyer does too. They take about 25 to 33%. So you're kind of like that. So let me just ask you about, you know, there's been a lot of talk about third-party sellers, whether it's it's good to be a third-party seller. Or, I mean, it's, I'm not, it's never going to say that it's bad to be a third-party seller because obviously it opens up so many doors. But then it's tough and that a lot of companies go into and not fully, realizing what they're getting into and there are ways to be successful and there are ways to be unsuccessful. What are some of the pieces of advice you would give to a, a company that's thinking of becoming a third party seller if they have not done so already?
2: Yeah. I think it still holds tremendous opportunity, tremendous opportunity because Amazon has such a built in demand on the market that it's great. So of course it all depends what you're trying to sell. If you can really ad- identify the demand is there on the marketplace, you should definitely go and do it. Now, if you find no demand, you gotta ask yourself uh, I guess, a question where which will lead to two directions. A, can I create can I find the demand if I launch a brand new product that nobody ever saw before? Basically innovation. If that's the case, go for it. Uh, but if you see there's no demand, but there's so much supply out there, maybe you should stay away because really, you know, it's saturated. So it's it's all data driven. All the data is there. So that takes us to uh, the also part of the 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 answer to the question. It's so data driven, just be focused on that. And there's a lot of functions functions to uh, to uh, to uh, fill out when, once, you, once you become a third-party seller. It can be overwhelming, so make sure you have a good team. And keep keep in mind it's a learning curve. It's it's, it's a learning process. You always because the, the the industry is is fast moving and it's still growing. Every day in the e-commerce is like a year in conventional business. It's hyper dynamic. It's a it's a, it's a, a it's um, an industry of learning. It's constant learning. So if you like that, if you prepare for that, you, if, but if not yourself, at least your team is very equipped to learn and move uh, as things move along, you'll be successful. If this is too much of a headache uh, and craziness for you, you know, staying away is also a wise decision, as I say.
1: What's it like trying to get money out of Amazon? I mean, I'm sure that's what you do a lot, right? Do You, you contact them and you say, there's been a problem with such and such order. And I think you owe us X amount of dollars. What kind of bargainers are they?
2: No, there's no issue. They, uh, they're they actually very, very generous because uh, I'll explain why. Um, when Amazon pays a reimbursement, what's nice about it is that they don't pay you the cost price. They pay you the retail price. So, for example, if you're, you're, your cost of sourcing is $10 a unit and then you want to sell it on Amazon on the marketplace on uh, uh, for like $50, they're going to pay $50 back. So the opportunity here that that we try to uh, encourage the seller to uh, seize is that the ability to... Um, to shift the double negative to double positive so when you get a reimbursement you're able to get your money back and make a profit because if you don't uh, get it back you lose your investment the money invested but you also lose the opportunity to make a profit so the way it works is when um, a claim is made and approved amazon uh, uh, adds the funds to the the deposit of the seller and every two weeks amazon pays the third-party sellers they they do a wire transfer uh, from amazon to the bank account and that's how the sellers get their money. And then later on, we charge our fee uh, once a month. So by the time we charge, you know, the money is already deep in the seller's pocket. Uh, there's no negotiation needed because Amazon's very fair. Their policy is we're going to pay you the retail value. So as if you sold it on Amazon. So you but we're buying it off your hands as if you sold it retail, which is tremendous for the sellers. And I think that's uh, part of that uh I think that it's, it's fundamental to Amazon, that trust, where sellers are very comfortable knowing that, A, they'll take responsibility. They're not going to bargain. They're not going to negotiate. If anything, they're going to pay the retail value uh, so you're clear you can make a profit. And guess what? It works. The whole flywheel works because the sellers get their their money, you know, the, the recovery, and they just reinvest it into Amazon. They source more inventory. They launch more inventory. They maybe spend more money on advertising with Amazon. So it's, uh, it's a good synergy between uh, Amazon and the sellers, uh, which works because it's, it's still a booming town.
1: And you said that 60% of the third party sellers is, uh, use FPA, correct? Yep. Okay. Of the, of the th- people who are third party sellers, what percentage do you think you need a company like you?
2: Oh, so we, uh, uh, so basically the question is what is our uh, market share from the total access?
1: Not necessarily you, because you said there are other companies like you. But i mean if i 'm a third party seller, am I likely to have somebody like you working with me to deal with the fulfillment issues with with amazon because otherwise i, I got to go it alone. I mean the fact that I already am an fBA seller kind of shows that i don 't want to ha- handle this if i 'm also going to then, then deal with the problems in it then you know without without a third party helping me. It kind of defeat, not to, totally defeats the purpose, but it, it kind of cuts back the impact. I mean, does everybody use, in, in the sense that every company out there has a lawyer. <laughs> does, every, does every third-party seller have somebody like you?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I actually never thought about it from that direction. So I'll, I'm going to answer this uh, this way. It's it's uh, Our big, biggest friction point is actually awareness. And why? Because the, the world of Amazon FBA sellers, which are 60% of the marketplace, is split into half, kind of 50-50 almost, right? 50% of the sellers are not even aware that an issue right they're not even aware that there's a problem uh so they're not doing anything about it so what we try to focus on doing is just raise their uh, awareness bring it to their attention and tell them hey by the way just you know you're eligible to get reimbursements because things can go wrong because they don't even, even realize that things can go wrong they have so many things to do so many functions to fill They don't even realize they need to reconcile all the transactions to see if everything's okay and a good standing. So that's uh, the first half of the market. So that's open, that's available. And we focus on obviously educating them and helping them. The other half of the market or the sellers uh, are savvy sellers. They're aware of it. They, They do something about it. They have a team doing it. So they do it themselves. Maybe they use our competitors, even they use us. Uh, but they don't know they, uh, there's an opportunity to get more, usually much more, especially if they do it on their own. So therefore, we advocate to them, say, hey, there's solutions out there that help. You know, we happen to be one of them. We'll be happy to help you. But there's other providers. So there's more. They don't know because, uh, you know, if they're able to get $10,000, maybe they're getting three or 4000 not realizing there's another five or $6,000 extra they can get. They're eligible to get. Uh, so we tried to raise awareness uh, on, a, on an industry level so uh, we uh, were able to seize the opportunity and reward them uh, with the recoveries. So I hope that kind of as- answers the question of uh, awareness.
1: Yeah, now let's talk a little bit about Katia. Right, we're pretty much out of time, but I'm really enjoying this conversation. Uh, I'm speaking to you. You're in Teaneck, New Jersey, right now. Uh, do you have a headquarters anywhere, or are you completely virtual uh, all over the no, place? So
2: this is our uh, world headquarters, Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, physically here, we have maybe 20 to 30 it's in cycles because we're very flexible. If somebody wants to work from home, they can work from home. They want to come to the office, have the office atmosphere. It's okay. The team is for the most part vaccinated. Um, but yeah, so that's the he- world headquarters, uh, and the rest of them are uh, you know around the world. We have a team in in Israel, actually, because about two years ago, we um, we bought a company, a competitor, so we merged them into our activities and they had a footprint in Israel. We have in uh, Georgia, the country, not the state. Uh, we have in Russia, we have in India, Philippines, and, and the U.S. So I think that's all, all in. It's about six countries at this point.
1: Yeah, of course, Israel's been known as a great source of, uh, of software applications. This isn't a software application. I'm sure you use some technology, probably use a lot of technology, but this is this kind of the uh, you know, it's a fulfillment business. You got to roll up your sleeves and get the job done. And it's software that I'm sure software point has its limitation in getting that job done. Correct?
2: Yeah. So we use heavy use of technology to discover the problem. That's where the, the, the algorithms come in and the AI and, and the technology aspect of things. But to actually solve the problem with Amazon, that's where it actually uh, takes labor and a dedicated team of specialists. So we open a case with Amazon. We present the information. Amazon might ask ask for further information. So we'll we'll, we'll send it or maybe further explanation. And those explanations are usually relevant to their um, terms of service and policies. So it's almost like legal work in a way. Because the way you, we communicate on the on the language, um, so a combination of technology and a dedicated team of service creates a solution which is maximum recovery. So definitely a lot of technology uh, being used, and yeah, Israel is a great source of innovation for technology. So we're, we're also very priv- privileged to have some of that in, into our mix.
1: And, and let's—I should have pointed this out earlier—but you were a third-party seller, correct?
2: That's great, yeah, so Getito was actually born from our activities as third party sellers. So uh, long story short, about a decade ago, we started selling online. Back in the day, eBay used to be the main event, right, the main platform. But uh, in uh, 2013, we started selling on Amazon and the business grew very, very quickly from zero to 20 million in, in annual FBA sales. Then we became a part of a larger group that together as a group, we're doing about 100 million in annual FBA sales. So uh, um, all these discrepancies that happen and and, and they have so much data coming uh, across our our channels every day, Uh, that pushed us to develop a technology to audit all the information on a daily basis uh, because the spreadsheets were just breaking. We couldn't use like regular tools. So that that pushed us to create technology and also set up a dedicated team to handle just the data and all the back and forth. So we created the the solution for ourselves. And once it worked, we share with our peers from the industry that we have these capabilities. They told us, help us, we'll pay you. And they were the early uh, users and, and customers of uh, Gatita back in 2015-16. And what happened was we had two successful businesses, retail and uh, solutions, which is Getita. And then uh, uh, Gatita was growing organically so much because the model is so comfortable because it's free to join, free to stay. We only get compensated if we're successful. Uh, so we took a leap of faith. We cashed out uh, our rep- retail positions uh, and then we focused all of our uh, focus, energy, motivation, creativity and helping other sellers with Gatita. And from that point on, that's where we kind of took leadership on this little niche space.
1: I just want to say, Yoni, I enjoyed this interview enough that I think it's probably about the longest one I've done for a long time here on Drilling Deep. But uh, anyway, we want to thank Yoni Major. He's the co-founder of Gatita, uh, which assists Amazon FBA sellers. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And maybe we'll check in in about a year from now or so. Sounds
2: good. Thank you so much, John. Good luck, everybody.
1: Okay. You have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston. Please join us again.